the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Hi, everybody. Ron Geyer, End Time Insights, back again, uh, continuing in our series on knowing God. And it's really important that you get the gist of what we're talking about. You got to know God. Don't forget, God says, depart from me, I never knew you. So him knowing us gets us into heaven. But us knowing him enables us to fulfill his will down here on the earth, to live a better Christian life, to have more success, And just to stay in better contact with him, to uh, walk daily with him, to be led by the Spirit. And just, you know, knowing him is to love him. I know there was a song like that back when I was growing up. To know you is to love you, something like that. But praise the Lord, we're talking about knowing God. And I love Peter. Uh, As a Catholic, I chose Peter as my confirmation name. And I've always kind of been associated with Peter. Peter was a sanguine temperament. So am I, always talking. So am I. Noisy, so am I, always looking, no, leaping before looking, and I'm not that bad, but we have a lot in common, Brother Peter, and so there's so much to identify with in my life, but also you as Christians in the spirit, because there's a lot of great lessons with Peter. We're going to talk about Peter a bit. We're going to reference Peter. We're going to talk about knowing God from creation. That's good. That's in Romans 1. I don't know if I'm getting through all this, but it's good. I want you to know God better. You must No, God, you must, you must, you must, you must. There are so many rich stories and lessons concerning Peter in the Bible. Peter is a man who was used by God greatly during his time while he was here on the earth. And fortunately for us, he is a man who continues to be used by God for us in the church today as we read 1 Peter and 2 Peter, even in the book of Acts, seeing how God used Peter in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So God uses Peter, he uses him to paint a really clear picture of both the strength and the spirituality of man and the weakness and the carnality of man, both the strengths of man and the weaknesses of man. His story of victory, then failure, and ultimately back to victory is both tragic and heroic, even at the same time. But that's Peter. Hallelujah. In our series on knowing God, there is no better example than Peter as someone who was blessed greatly in his relationship with the Lord Because Peter did know God. At times he did, at times he didn't, but we're going to look at that. But also revealed in Peter are the dangers of failing to let that knowledge of God counter his own human weaknesses. It's a trial that we all face, and there is gold in the lessons about Peter in the life of Peter that we can learn from. If we will just take the time to dig out the treasure God invested in his brother, which are found in, in our brother, which are found in the word. Peter... Thank you, Jesus. Matthew, this is great verse, great scripture, great lessons. 
Matthew 16, 13. I'm going to be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Wow. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say you are Elijah. Some others, they say Jeremiah, well, one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So in light of the rest of this chapter, these seven verses are quite astounding. Peter answers Jesus' question, not through his carnal understanding, but by the revelation from the Father, probably through the Holy Ghost. There's a dozen priceless treasures in these few verses as we teach on knowing God. It is revealed that one cannot know God carnally. You got to get that understood. You cannot know God apart from the Bible. You cannot know God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. As we teach on knowing God, you must know him spiritually. One's knowledge of God must come from a spiritual source. Jesus plainly says that when he says, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto thee, Peter. So Jesus asked Peter, whom do men say that I am? And Peter, being the representative of the twelve, he spoke up for them. They all, I'm sure, had discussed it many times. Who is Jesus? Who is this? Is he the Messiah? Is he just a prophet? I'm sure they've had these type of discussions when they weren't with the Lord. And they had come to realize, probably all of them, he probably could have asked any one of them. But he asked Peter, as the spokesman, the mouth <laughs> of the group, whom do men say that I am? And then Peter saying, by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Son of the living God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Why is it of paramount importance, then, that we have to understand that you cannot know God except by a revelation from the Holy Spirit of God, from the Father God? We must come to know Jesus on his terms. We must know God. And I'm saying God and Jesus interchangeably. They are the same. Okay? Uh, One's God the Father, one's God the Son, but Jesus is God. And you can only know him by revelation from the Spirit of God. John 4.24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Man, too, is a spirit, but that spirit is housed in an earth-loving suit of flesh. Shucks. The challenge before us all is to deaden the flesh and live in the spirit. It's only in the spirit where we can build our relationship with God. You can't approach God in the five-cent realm. Remember, flesh and blood will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told Peter he was blessed. He was blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal who Jesus was to him. Truth is, flesh and blood will never can never reveal Jesus to anyone. We, as a church, we need to stop trying to do just that. I believe this is a common failing in the church today. Our default position as mankind, unfortunately, as sinful mankind, is to live life in the flesh. Unless one is a Christian or a follower or a practitioner of the dark arts, we are fleshly ruled. Spirituality is rare in the church. There isn't enough dedication to obey God's word. There isn't enough preaching of God's word. Jesus said, my words are life. They are spirit. And we need to make sure that we are building our spiritual relationship with God because we don't have any other kind. Unfortunately, 
when we think we are approaching God in a five-sense realm uh, type of approach, it's really demons that we're catching up with. It's really a manifestation of angels of light who are misrepresenting God because you must come to God as a spirit. There isn't enough dedication in the church, unfortunately, to obey God's word, which is the only counter to a life that we're living in the flesh. Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Let me say this. Before we get saved, our spirits are dead until the things of God. And yet when we are enlightened, when the Holy Spirit comes, he gives life to our spirits and our spirits are now able to have a relationship through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us. We are then able to have that relationship with God. Not because he is not loving uh, or gracious all the time, but those are the way he set it up. We must come to him spiritually minded. We must come to him spirit to spirit. That's how he created us to know him. I've got something here. Romans 1, I think you know it. I talk about it all the time. Verse 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. In this sense here, ungodliness and unrighteousness is suppressing the truth that God has made it evident about his existence within us and to us. That is why the wrath of God is revealed at this juncture. And then Romans 1, verses 20 and 21, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, us, so that they, we, are without excuse. Let me get that again to you. For since the creation of the world, right, his invisible, this include Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. It includes everybody. For since the good people, bad people. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, and what are these invisible attributes? There's two of them, his eternal power and his divine nature. They have been clearly perceived in mankind. They have not only been clearly perceived, but they're being understood by what has been made us. Us, we understand that God made us his power and his righteousness, his divine nature. We know that by birth. That's the way God wants to be found. He's not hiding. He wants us to know him. And so he placed in each person that's ever been in the earth an innate knowledge. You know, you may even call it an instinct that, hey, we were created and I know my creator that he is all powerful, that he is divine. Those are the two aspects of God that he placed within every person that's ever been born so that we can have a head start on knowing him. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God by giving thanks. When you do not thank the Lord, when you don't have a grateful heart, you do not honor God. And let's see what happened to these people. Don't forget they knew God. They knew God. But because they did not honor him, how did they do not honor him? By giving thanks. But they became futile in their reasonings, and their senseless hearts became darkened. You've got the light of God in you by creation. You know him as your creator. That You are a child of God by creation. 
there's a better option if you get born again to become his child by adoption. It's one thing to be a child by creation. That's everybody. But it's another one to be child of God by a a willful relationship that he offers you, not by creation. He created you, and so you have to know him as God, but now you have an option of getting to know him as God according to your will. It was God's will that he made you, that he loved you, that he created you, but now it's your will that he becomes your father. Okay, I don't want to know him and just stay knowing him as my creator. I want to know him as father. Isn't that great? You know, my wife, we have this talk. It's good. Abraham was a friend of God, right? And she think that's great, you know, because she says, well, you know, I said, well, I'm a child of God. She goes, yeah, but being a friend of God, you get to pick that. Being a child of God, you don't get to pick your family. Good news, bad news, depending how your family is, right? But I always tell her, I says, Diane, and we got our Bible studies, maybe 20, 25 people there. And I said, at the end of the night, Diane, who's going to stay here? Just my family, not my friends. Who gets to open up the fridge without having to ask? My family, not my friends. Oh, my friends. My refrigerator is a common refrigerator. I mean, <laughs> 25 different people have access to it. But the point is, it's a familiar relationship, family relationship, when we get born again, when we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior. It's a deeper kind of relationship than just knowing him as my creator. Just knowing about his eternal power and his divine nature is great. But now I know him as my father. Now I know him as my friend. Now I know him as my Lord. And hallelujah, because of what Jesus did, I have come to know him as my Savior. Thank you, Lord. And so my point today is that the church must stop trying to know God in the flesh. We've got to know God spirit to spirit. We've got to know God in the way that he revealed himself, and he revealed himself to us as a spirit. Okay? Very important. Knowing God cannot be accomplished with a dead mind. Many of us try to understand God. We have a mental assent to who he is. We know him in our brains, but we don't know him in our hearts. When we got saved, our spirits became alive unto God. That's where we know him. In the spirit, not with our minds, our flesh is to be ruled by our spirits. Unfortunately, the church has not learned the discipline of a renewed mind, led by a born-again spirit. Peter, hanging out with Jesus for three years, had the opportunity to know Jesus intimately. He walked with Jesus. He spoke with Jesus. He daily saw the power of God in Jesus, and that had to have quite a impact on him. And yet Jesus says in the verse that we read earlier in Matthew 16, that Peter could answer that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, actually he said that he's the Christ, but uh, Christ is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word for Messiah. And so uh, he knew him because God told him, God gave him revelation knowledge. But then we get into four verses down the road and it's going to be amazing what you're going to see about brother Peter. And I'm amazed. And I say this because You know, even though Peter did all those things with Jesus, right? He walked with him. He slept in the same room. He ate with him. He saw the miracles. He he fed 5,000 with him. He he prayed and he saw God deliver people. He taught the disciples. And yet, I'm going to say this, that we have an advantage that Peter didn't have, right? Peter had the living, breathing, five-sense realm representation of Jesus Christ right there. Hallelujah. God in a body, Right? But we have God in a body now, too, in the form of the Holy Spirit. That's why I say the advantage is ours. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, a promise that uh, God gave to the Jews for their millennial 
living. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments, and you shall do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Remember where God says, I'm going to write my laws and my statutes on your hearts and in your mind. That's a promise he gives to all of us, but there was a promise to the Jews, and unfortunately, until they receive him, they're not going to see the manifestation of that promise, but we are living that promise today. That was a promise from God to the Jews. It's a promise for them specifically to be fulfilled in the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, but we also see that fulfillment in us today, Acts 2.4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I believe it says that God, the Father has revealed to Peter. Jesus talks about that. I believe that was the Holy Spirit speaking to Peter. Through the indwelling presence of God, represented by his Holy Spirit, we, the church, have such an advantage Peter didn't have. If we would only learn to take advantage of his presence, we must commit to reading our Bibles. You cannot know God apart from your Bible. If you don't know your Bible, you do not know God. It's that simple. He is revealed through his word. The Bible says God in in the former days spoke to us through the prophets. Today he speaks to us through Jesus Christ, through the word. When you have a conversation with somebody, that's the way you become intimate with somebody. That's how you know somebody. I sit down with you. We go out to lunch. We have breakfast, whatever. We drive in the truck together. We talk. We converse. We communicate. I reveal who I am. You reveal who you are. And we connect and we bond. It's the same way with God. You cannot know God apart from having a knowledge of the Bible. We must commit to reading our Bibles all the time, every day. Why? Because you cannot know God apart from knowing his word. We have tried it, trust me, but it won't work. I am praying constantly with our prayer group on Thursday nights for a revival of the Bible reading in our churches, that God would put a supernatural hunger in us for his word. Second Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, this is great. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, what, Christ, in earthen vessels, that is the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. John McCarthy is going to break that down for us. He does such a really good job with it. Don't forget, we're talking about knowing God. John MacArthur explains the point in this verse. Paul is making that creation and redemption are both works of God. Obviously, God the creator and God the redeemer. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness at creation. And the light which shined out of darkness in a creative way has now begun to shine in a redemptive way. The light of creation has become the light of salvation. That is so good. It's the same light, right? For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that's the light of creation, has now shined that same light in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus, in the person of Jesus. So he's saying that the light which created, which was the light of creation, also is the light of redemption. And that light is manifested in the face of Jesus Christ and he's caused it to be the light of salvation. The light placed in the heavens has now become a light that's also been placed in the heart. Don't forget we're talking creation. We're talking redemption. The light which was material in the heavens has become moral. The physical light of the sun, S-U-N, has become the spiritual light of the sun, S-O-N. The universal light has become a personal light. A sovereign God shines the gospel light into the human heart when the truth is preached 
and God designs to save us. What is the light? It is to know who Christ is, that he is God incarnate, that he is the clearest revelation of God. He is the illumination of the truth about God revealed in Christ Jesus. <laughs> so basically, all of that is what happened to Peter when he said, Thou art the Christ. Jesus told Peter that God in heaven, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, revealed Peter to Jesus who he was. I find it so interesting. Here we see it's the Father who reveals Jesus to man, and yet we know in John, Jesus turns it around and says it is he who came to reveal the Father to man. So God's busy revealing Jesus to us. Jesus is busy revealing the Father to us, and we have an obligation to preach the gospel, which reveals both to a sinful world. Matthew eleven twenty seven. all things are delivered unto me and my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father except the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So the, Jesus' job was to reveal the Father. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal them both. It just goes to show us further how interconnected God and Jesus are. Like Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said that to Philip. And this is just one of the many highlights in Peter's life living in the revelation of the Messiah, straight from the wisdom and the power and the anointed touch of Father God. (laughs) This is Peter, though. Now let's look at what happened just a few short verses later. Matthew 16, verse 21 through 23. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, This shall not be unto thee. But Jesus turned around and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest or thou mindest the things that that be of God, but those that be of men. So Peter goes four verses later. Jesus tells him in verse 19, Blessed art thou, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. And then here we are. Get thee behind me, Peter. Thou savorest the things of man rather than the things that be of God. (laughs) What happened, Pete? This is Peter. Peter, and you know, in the Old Testament, don't forget, Jesus walked the earth under the law, right? Not until the resurrection did we receive the new covenant, the New Testament, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God, the, the, the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and he began the church there. Well, that didn't happen yet. And so in the Old Testament, when the Holy Spirit came upon somebody, what did he do? When he was done with their assignment, he left. So basically, the Holy Spirit that revealed to Peter that Jesus was the Messiah, after he got done with that revelation, he left. Now, you would think that some of that would have stayed with Peter, but it didn't. Peter, totally carnal, totally fleshly. Peter goes from being praised by Jesus and receiving revelation from God himself to being told he has a devil. We are talking about knowing God. Here we have Peter being told he is carnal. The point I'm trying to make is you got to have the Holy Ghost. Otherwise, you're never going to know God. The point I'm trying to make, you must have the Spirit of God. You must have his word in you. And you must have the Holy Spirit revealing to you what the word means, who God is. Remember at the end of the days before the trial of Jesus, Matthew 26, 74. uh, What did Peter say when he was confronted? He said, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. 
Now, you may have thought he was lying because he did know the man. No, he didn't know him. He had forgotten who he was. He loved him, but he had lost that revelation that God gave to him that this is the Messiah. And Peter plainly said he didn't know the man. And in reality, it really wasn't Peter's fault. He no longer had the Holy Spirit revealing to him who Jesus was. He hadn't had the daily teaching and revelation from the Spirit of God that we have today. In a sense, Peter was on his own. And he failed miserably. And that shouldn't happen to us. My point today is this. We've got to stop trying to know God without his Holy Spirit. We cannot live a life in the flesh and expect to build our relationship with him that culminates in us knowing him more each day. We cannot live a life without the word of God revealing him to us every time we open the book. It's impossible. I want to encourage you today, you must read your Bible. It's what I say. I say it all the time. I'm sure I say that phrase at least 20 or 30 times a week. You must read your Bible. It's on the pages of the book that he comes alive to you. That's, Spurgeon says, the book. It's a living book, the Bible. It's a living book. It's, it's a talking book. He talks to you in the book. You open up the book and you find out your strengths and your weaknesses your graces, your failures. And so it's important that you open up the Bible first thing in the morning. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. This is how you get to know him. We love you. We'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.